Hello and welcome to the show. This is episode 20 of season 2 and this is the one you've been waiting for folks, the your questions answered. We're taking the six top questions that have come across my email over the last few months and we're going to look at them today. So nutrition, exercise and golf, these are the six things that we need to be addressing that have come across my emails and it's going to be a little bit of a, a short sharp show we're going to quick fire these ones off this week unfortunately this is a second recording of this show and i do apologize to the people who listened to four minutes of absolute drivel last time because apparently uh the upload went a little bit squiffy and it's uploaded uh, a preview clip instead of actually uploading the entire episode so we're having to re-record it because it was just broken. So apologies if this is a little bit of a quick fire show, but if you do have any questions on fitness, health, nutrition, training, or golf performance, failsafefitness at hotmail.com. Send your questions into that and we will get into them in another few weeks' time. As I say, this is the your questions answered, so we're not going to talk about me this week. I know. I've got enough to be getting on with. So we are going to continue firstly with your cutting calories. So a little series that we've been doing over the last few weeks. It's a 10 week series. This is week number six. Uh, and it's a quick and easy way for you to save some calories without even making too many massive changes. And this one is all about your veggies, folks. So seasoned veggies. So a lot of people out there like to put some butter or some oil into their vegetables, like their peas, potatoes, whatever. And those extra calories are all going to mount up, especially if you think you're eating healthy and you're adding some butter. If you add 10 or 15 grams of butter three or four times a week, you're looking at two, 300 calories you could probably be saving without even thinking about it. And the same goes with oil. So, just by removing the butter and oil, think putting some little bit of dill on your spuds, uh, some chives on corn, maybe a dash more salt into your vegetable water or vegetables is going to bring out the flavour rather than adding, you know, greasy, oily butter or oil. And that is your tip for this week. So, use some chives and some different things other than butter and oil to flavor your vegetables with cracking straight into it then shall we nutrition these are they're not in any particular order but these are the six questions that have come across my email over the last few weeks that have been quite interesting and have been the most requested so one of them is I'm looking to cut calories um, and so what I've done, instead of eating breakfast, I'm skipping breakfast and moving on with the rest of my day. I've mentioned this before. I don't think it was in a, uh, a Your Questions Answered podcast, but it was actually in a, just a normal standard bod podcast. And We've been fasting overnight. You've been asleep six, seven, eight, nine hours. If, you, if you're lucky enough to get that kind of sleep, 
your body has no fuel it's been burning fuel all night it's been using the protein in your body has been used by your brain to keep you alive so you really 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 do not need want to be skipping breakfast do yourself some overnight oats before you go to bed you know pick yourself up something you need to eat breakfast you need to eat it because you need to fuel the system for the rest of the day and a lot of studies out there have shown that people who don't eat breakfast to people who skip breakfast actually eat more calories throughout the day because they are hungrier because they're not satiated enough yes intermittent fasting is great but if you've been asleep for nine hours that's over a third of the day where your body hasn't taken on any fluid it hasn't taken on any fuel and then you're going work going to go and work for at least three four perhaps even five hours before you're actually putting any fuel in your body you're basically just depleting your body's ability to of energy and nutrients it needs to actually function so please don't be skipping breakfast go and make get at least you know 15 20 grams of protein into your breakfast get some carbohydrates in that system get some energy going and some you know have those stores ready to go that's why you're feeling crap at about 10 o'clock in the morning and work because you haven't eaten so please go eat your breakfasts the next one is healthy fats um, what are healthy fats now obviously fat is has become a, a hot topic recently um, you know we they talk, people talk about avocados and eggs uh, and nuts seeds are all healthy fats and they are they are really healthy things to eat but if you overdo them they're still fat so if you're eating two avocados a day you're eating six or eight eggs every day you know your cholesterol level is going to go up there's no doubt about it so healthy fats are good for your system and you they they're basically a, a a set of fats that you need to take on board a d e and k those vitamins are absorbed are fat soluble so if you don't take any fat in your diet or very little fat those minerals are never absorbed by your body which means a lot of bodily functions don't work correctly especially you know a d e and k vitamin d is is vital everybody's been told this yeah all those vitamins are essential to you being alive but if you overdo your fats if you're eating six eggs a day that's a lot of eggs that your cholesterol is going to go your body does use about 95 percent of an egg or something silly like that but if you're eating six of them it's probably not going to use all of that and your cholesterol level is going to climb and that's bad for your heart so I'm just going to be wary healthy fats are great but don't overdo them nuts and seeds to snack on great avocado on toast for breakfast is fine but don't be going overboard and having avocado with every meal or eggs with every meal or snacking whole bags of nuts because they are calorie dense so even though you think you're eating healthily you're actually eating more calories than you should be and a calorie controlled diet you know variety is the spice of life and if you can vary what you input and limit the, that calorie intake at the same time 
you're going to have a well satiated diet and you're going to be a very healthy person but healthy fats can be dangerous if you're taking too many eggs on board for instance or you have an avocado at every meal cholesterol is going to climb fat is going to become a big problem in your diet I hope that clears a couple of things up the third one is pro and prebiotics now there's some confusion between a few of these things um, so probiotics actually help your stomach create the um, how can I put it the, the 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 parts of your lining that help break things down so the probiotic is going to help those those bacteria in your stomach sort of breed and be healthy and they're going to function as well as they can that's what a probiotic is you know those those functions of pro and prebiotic so they're going to help you maintain a healthy amount of these bacteria in your stomach um, if you don't have enough then you're not going to dissolve food correctly and if you have too many that's going to cause some acid reflux and I think we've all had that so the the advantage of taking or taking on board pro and prebiotics are very evident you can overdo it you can underdo it you've just got to you know each person is individual and you need to take it on board as to which one of these is going to help you if you have a lot of you know probiotic yogurt and then you find that you're you're not dealing with that very well then you might need to cut down on that and obviously the prebiotic stuff as well does the same thing you may have some stomach upset you may not you know things like that can occur so just be careful with those two things but they are great I think they are useful and if you've got a healthy gut a healthy gut is where all your energy is coming from so whatever food you put in your mouth is getting broken down in there and pre and probiotics are going to help the gut function correctly but you can overdo it if you're eating having too many pro or prebiotics you can have the opposite effect of what you want so just be careful with the amounts of these things that you're actually taking item number four and it's something that comes across probably every single day I get an email saying how much protein should I eat and I'm going to put this out there quite simply is whatever you weigh in kilograms if it's a hundred kilograms you need a, a, a minimum of, of one gram of protein per kilo of body weight so if you're 70 kilos you need 70 grams if you're 100 kilos you need 100 grams if you're 200 kilos 200 grams of protein it's a lot and a lot of us don't take on board enough protein throughout the day supplementing with a protein shake or a bar or something like that is going to help you hit your protein uh, levels get up to where they need to be but obviously taking on board actual real food in terms of meat and milk etc etc that dairy that is going to help you build a healthy protein lifestyle and keep muscle on your system so yeah 
it's it's the simplest thing in the world. Whatever you weigh in kilograms, you do that as one gram. It makes your life easier. And if you if you do three three times, um, this is the simple simple recipe, and it works majority of the time. Once people get this in, they dial it in. I say three grams of carb per kilo of body weight. I go one gram of protein per kilo of body weight. And I go about anywhere between a half a gram and 0.7 grams of fat per kilogram of body weight. So three, one, and I will say 0 0.7, 0 0.7 grams of fat. You dial those in, you're not going to be too far away from eating the diet you need to eat. Um, and those calories might surprise you in terms of the numbers, but if you can keep those your calories within a couple of 300 of that either way in three months time you're going to be surprised at the results just by looking at how clean or how dialed in your diet is nutritionally and it might just be looking at vitamins and minerals after that so yeah protein simple it's a it's a pound it's one gram per kilo of body weight Number five. Now this is quite an interesting one, to be fair. <coughs> I don't know how to how to explain this. Um, Can switching diets be useful? Uh, I think the person was on that they someone in their gym was doing. They were vegan one week. They were vegetarian the week after. They were pescatarian the week after that, and then they were full whatever they want for the week after that. And I, I was like, okay, well, you know, they're getting a varied diet. They're obviously calorie controlling it and I don't see anything wrong with 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 that in principle um, doing it for a week and a week and a week and a week I guess it kind of takes out the what am I eating today so a few people I know eat you know they eat vegetarian for a day they eat pescatarian the other day they eat full meat the other day they're vegan for a day then they have a, a, a cheat day. You know, it's it's very... I think I get the concept of that. Um, and a few people have said, I, I want to do this diet and that diet. And this, this is something that comes across. Diet is diet. The more varied you can get it, the better. It gives you a broader scope of foods that you like, that you can enjoy, and that you'll eat, and that will give you... The, the sustenance to, to keep whatever physique that you have. And I think if you have the time and you have the planning and the mentality to do that, so you're going to be vegan for a week, you're vegetarian for another week, you're pescatarian for a week, and then you're just whatever the hell you want the week after in terms of you can eat meat, etc. I think that's a very good way of living your life. I think if you're happy doing that and the people that are in your life 
you know, partner, boyfriend, wife, husband, significant other, whatever, family are happy doing that, I don't see there's any problem. At least that's giving your family, your, your, your immediate people in your household, the opportunity to try different foods, try different diets, so when they do leave home or whatever, they can then either choose to continue that life or they can choose to go down a different path. And I think picking specific diets to do specific things, like people go, I want to go vegetarian, I think meat's bad, and da da da. Great. Wonderful. You go two weeks down the line and tell me that you're getting enough protein and this and that and the other, because you're not planning it. If you have the ability to plan, or come to someone like me who's going to plan your meals out, give you exact readings of what you should be eating that week, I, think, I don't think there's a problem. And I think if people live their lives that way, that's great. I think having a, a varied and, and, and the more varied diet, the better. I could say it gives you more eating options. I think that's a fantastic thing. I think if you've got the willpower and the ability to do so, then do it. But don't just pick a diet because a friend is doing it or you've heard it from the gym. Do your research. Speak to someone like myself who's a nutrition and weight management guy or girl or whatever specialist out there go and get some advice before you make a leap because i've seen a lot of people jump from oh, I, I have a mcdonald's and a pizza and this that and the other and a kebab on a friday night to i'm now vegan and then they they're vegan but they're stuffing so much chocolate down their face they're gonna have no teeth by the time they're 30 <laughs> because that's the only way they feel satiated is by eating high sugar things because they can because they're not satiated enough in terms of protein um, I'm probably not definitely not eating enough vegetables as a vegan to satiate their hunger so they're, they're filling that void with things that are essentially bad and all the sugar that's getting into the system is going to give them diabetes and I've seen this happen so many times to people They've gone from being, I need to lose some weight, I'm going to be vegan to, I'm not losing any weight, and now I'm borderline diabetic. And those are the reasons why. You're not getting enough essential nutrients in your system because you're not eating correctly. You haven't done the math. You haven't done the homework. You haven't prepped and planned meals. You've just jumped in feet out the frying pan into the fire, and now you're melting. So having a... a, a Changing up your diets week to week is, is a big thing. If you can plan that out, I think it's great. Month to month, I'd probably accept two. But make sure you do your homework. If you're thinking of changing diets because you've heard this or you've heard that, I say try it. Try it for a week. Try it for two weeks. Try it for four weeks. 28 days, try a diet. But make sure you plan and prep. Because once you jump out of the frying pan into the fire and you're completely unprepared and you're going out shopping, you know, vegan and vegetarian specifically are hard. There are a lot of things that you eat in your daily life that have milk, fish, eggs, whatever, meat in them that you don't necessarily realize have got those things in. So it's a lot of hard work. And if you can do it, go do it. And number six is eating a high-fiber diet. 
I'm told I need to eat a high fiber diet, high fiber, high fiber, high fiber. And I think ideally, I think you need around 12, 12 to 15 grams, I think it is, of fiber a day. So when people start coming to me, I'm eating 30 grams and 30 grams of fiber a day. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> okay, that you're going to have some stools that are going to be very interesting to pass in a couple of days or a week or so. So ideally, a high fiber diet, you know, normal fiber count, 10 to 12 grams, 10 to 15 grams max a day is going to be more than enough fiber for you to eat. I think a really high fiber diet is 20 to 25 grams, no more than 25 grams. You eat more than 25 grams of fiber a day, you're going to have some very interesting stools in a few days time. So yeah, high fiber diets are great. I think they, they do keep you satiated. Fiber is a very good thing. We all need those nutrients. But just be careful out there, people. Um, it's great for, you know, your bowel movements, etc., etc. There's a lot of uh, uh, good things in fiber, you know, just changing a few things like I've done. I've switched to, I've switched to a seeded bread, which is a little bit more um bit more calorific in terms of the actual content because the seeds and nuts and oils, etc. Again, essential things that we need. But I enjoy that. It has gotten me a little bit more regular, and it's it's keeping me satiated for a little bit longer. Brown rice, things like that. Our brown pasta are always going to be very helpful. And they're, they're simple switch outs. You know, they're going to give you some more fiber in your diet. And they're not making a massive change. You're just buying a different version of what you were already going to eat. Yeah, so adding fiber to a diet is very simple. But just be careful you don't add too much. Because things are going to, downstairs are going to get pretty rough. If you have too much fiber and obviously the opposite if you don't get enough fiber you're gonna struggle even more and that is the top six things that came across my desk for uh, nutrition this last few months before we move on to exercise don't forget, everybody who has a lesson with me at Himney Hall Golf Center, as a client, you will go into a draw to win a putt-out system. So it's a little plastic cup with a little pop-out hole. Um, you can pop it down anywhere, whether it be in your living room, on a putting mat, on a putting service, uh, whatever you like in your garden, and you can practice your putting. It's a great thing to have in your bag. And it certainly helped me control my putting. And when you hit a putt, if you hit a perfect putt, it stays in the hole because it was hit perfectly. And obviously, when you hit a putt and it goes in and it rolls up the device, the amount it rolls back by is the amount that it would have gone past if you'd have missed. So if it rolls up to the top and comes back three feet, you'd still have a three-foot putt left. So it's great as well at helping you... Um, pace control your putts if you do want to win those everyone whose name who has been uh, a client over the last month will get the chance to win one and if you do want to win one it's completely free you just need to buy yourself a session with me and the draw is made on instagram and facebook 
the Himley Hall and the Failsafe Fitness um, handles. You'll see the results on there. Moving on to the six things that have come through for exercise. Now, this one is, is great. I love this one. There are some things that I have heard and seen. But these are the six things that have come across my email and inbox over the last few months. The first one, again, these are in no particular order, is do I need to work out every day? The simple answer is no. The real answer is no. If you want to work out every day, um, I don't know, you do CrossFit for instance and you're pretty good at it, you're pretty strong, you could probably get you know, uh, a deload day in and a new day. But eventually if you work out every day, you're either going to be very tired and very sore because you keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Or you're just going to get burnt out and you're not going to go back. So you do not need to work out every day. You, you need to have some kind of schedule, whether it be, you know, three times a week, five by five. You've got a, a, a body split, you know, back and biceps, chest and triceps, legs, something like that. If, if you're doing that, you know, I mean, if, you, if, if you're at CrossFit or something like that, or you're even just doing classes. You know, those classes, those 30 main classes can take the take it out of you. You might feel good for the first couple of weeks, but you're going to start to feel beat down and sore as you push yourself harder in those those sessions. So, recommendation is, you know, minimum, you know, a couple of times a week, maximum of five times a week, but give yourself a break, whether that be you do Monday to Friday and you take weekends off. Um... I've always had the split of I tend to do a, do a day, have two days off, do a day, do two days off. So it's every every eight days I've done three workouts. That that's a, For me, that's the ideal ratio at 45. It gives me a couple of a day to recover, uh, another day to evaluate how well I've recovered, and then I'm back in the gym the third day. And then the same again because... You know, I'm getting a little bit older. My body's reacting to, to stuff a little bit differently to the way it used to five years ago, let alone 15 years ago. So, yeah, don't work out every day. Make sure you've got, you take plenty of breaks. You take a day off. Don't punish yourself for taking a day off. You're going to need it eventually. Otherwise, you can lead to some serious issues, not just physically but mentally as well because, you know, the separation anxiety of not going to the gym can be mentally taxing almost as much as doing a, a, a heavy workout. Second one of these uh, is very similar. How long should I be working out for? And as I've mentioned there, CrossFit lessons are about an hour. So they warm you up, they get you to do a few things, you do a wad, you go home. Perfect. Great. You're in, you're out, you're done. You know, 5x5, five five, you know, splits, whatever. I think if you're in the gym longer than 90 minutes, you probably need to either evaluate what you're doing in there, move to another gym, or find another program. I think you can be in and out of a gym in 90 minutes. So 
that 90 minutes contains like that's two hours so you've got to get there you've got to put you get into the gym find the stuff that you need and you might be waiting around but I think if you're if you're getting to the gym getting back from the gym takes longer than two hours then yeah you probably need to cut that down a little bit you need to need to look at it uh, so I'd say I, I mean if you're a classes if you're just starting to work out do some classes there's some pretty good classes available in these gyms now and they're free if you're a member so you can do three 30 minute classes a week or five 30 minute classes a week done you're in and out you know what you're going for it's going to take you an hour to get there and back and do the session and you're done crossfit very similar you know 90 minutes you're you're 15 minutes there 15 minutes back you're an hour in the gym you're done but if you're just hanging around, checking your phone, doing this, waiting for that, waiting for this, waiting for the other, you probably need to change your program or change your gym because more than two hours, unless you're actually a bodybuilder or a triathlete or something like that, no one needs to be working out for more than two hours at a time. Number three, how do I increase my muscle mass? Well, there's one answer and one answer only to that is progressive overload. Um, it's how we all build muscle. It's how your body allows you to move about in everyday life. Because if your body didn't build muscle in where it thinks it needs it, then you won't be able to move about. You, we'd just all be like those the people in the chairs uh, in Wally. We'd just be out like bits of Jello in these floating chairs. So, yeah, progressive overload is the only way you're really going to build muscle. Whether you do that this way or that way, it doesn't really matter. So, one way is that you go small reps, heavy weight, and the other way is you go lightweight, loads of reps. You just it's 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 still progressive overload, you know. So the weight gets heavier, even though you're doing small reps, or the reps get more, and you do the same weight. Though what either one of those two is going to create progressive overload, and eventually you do need to switch on. So if you're doing 20 reps or something, you probably need to up the weight and go back down to 10. And then once you can do 10 comfortably, three sets of 10 uh, comfortably, or you're completing all three sets of 10, then you need to go back and up it to 12, then 15, then 18, then 20. Once you're doing all 20, up the weight, go back down to 10, start again. That's the progressive overload. That's the only way you're going to build muscle. And obviously, in with that, you need to be eating uh, protein for recovery, making sure that you're stretching yourselves off. Just look after your body, take breaks, eat, eat well, recover well, and then you, you're going to build muscle. That's simple. I'm training to lose weight. How do I do it? <laughs> that's Genuinely, that's a question that comes across my inbox at least once a week, if not every couple of days. Weight loss isn't just about training. Weight loss is primarily, in my eyes, nutrition. If you can control your calorie input, you can control your calorie output. So that the simple math of losing weight is that you burn more calories than you eat during a day. 
and over the course so if you lose you know you eat 300 calories less than you uh, burn off in a day over 10 days is 3,000 calories that's a pound of fat that's a pound of fat allegedly in, in the calorific value it's a pound of fat <clears throat> over 30 days that's three pounds that three pounds is a kilo and a half off the off the off the scale and that's a pretty reasonable amount to be losing on a steady progress if you lose it all at once and you're not eating so you go to one of these stupid 500 calorie thousand calorie a day diets and I've had GPs recommend this I'll just eat soup potatoes you know just eat a thousand calories a day you'll be fine no you won't because a thousand calories a day is not going to give you the right nutrition you know, the vitamins, the minerals, the protein, the fats, the carbs that your body's going to require just to move about. You know, it, it's advice that I've heard. I've actually had people tell me that their GPs have said eat, eat a thousand calories a day. Long term, short term, maybe not going to be, you know, a bad thing in their eyes. But that short term is just going to create a long term craving. So they go from eating 4,000 calories a day to 1,000. They're 3,000 calories less than what they were. And with their BMI, BMR, they probably need at least two, two and a half thousand just to maintain f function. And some GPs have said that, and I hate what they do. Because GPs look at things and they go, they look at the, they look at trying the ways to fix it, not the root cause. And the root cause of being obese and overweight is that you're overeating. And if we can control those calories and bring you from 3,500 calories a day to 3,000 calories a day, down to 2,500 calories a day, down to 2,000 calories a day, dialing your diet and nutrition over those space of, you know, 4, 8, 12 weeks. So now you're eating a healthy and balanced diet. You're getting out and you're doing some walking. You're doing some extra exercise. And that's all you need to do. If you want to lose some weight, is eat 300 calories or less a day than what you burn off. You know, so, I mean, simple thing is, go for a 30-minute walk every day and eat 300 calories less than what you normally do. Track those stats on MyFitnessPal. So bloody simple. You can scan every food that you put in your mouth. There's pretty much not a food on there now that you can't scan, weigh, Put it in, it'll tell you what the calorific value is, and then add in 30 minutes of walking five days a week. You burn 150 calories in that 30 minutes. You know, that's that's 750 calories a week, and you're saving 300 calories a day. So you're going to be pretty close to a pound, half a kilo-ish a week in terms of deficit and calories by just adding a walk and controlling your diet and that's the best way for you to lose weight do not starve yourselves and just take a general look take a two-week break from everything eat everything track it all and then you'll look at this all oh, right I thought I was only eating two and a half that uh, two thousand two and a half thousand calories a day and actually it turns out you're eating four so straight away you can go well I don't need that Mars bar for lunch I can swap that for a, uh, a protein bar I don't need this at break time. I can have a protein shake and some fruit. 
Things like that will make a massive difference. You'll still stay satiated and you'll be getting more nutrients into your system. And that's the easiest way to lose weight. Um, but training wise, in terms of losing weight, just adding more exercise. You know, if you're if you're only going to the gym and you're like say you CrossFit three times a week and you, you're not losing weight, it definitely your diet. If you're spending five hours a week on a treadmill and you're running thirty miles and you're like and you're not losing any weight, it's your diet. Start with the diet. Start with the thing that feeds your muscles, feeds your body, keeps it fed, and then go from what do I need to do else to train. But check your diet first. My fitness pal, easiest way to do it. The other one that leads into this is how much weight should I lose? I don't know. I weigh this much. How much weight should I lose? I don't know. How tall are you? So if you're six foot six or seven feet tall and you weigh like, you know, 15, 18 stone, do you play rugby? Are you a big, big person? You know, I'm, I'm 700 pounds. I don't know. People send me this, this, how much weight do I need to lose? I, I don't know. <laughs> how much weight do you think you need to lose? It's, it's a weird question, but it comes across my, my emails all the time. And the healthy situation is, if you lose a kilo a month, doesn't matter how big you are, one kilo a month, 12 kilos a year, it was 25 pounds, 25, nearly 30 pounds a year is a lot. You can lose 50 pounds in 12, 12 weeks, but not if you weigh 90 pounds, you won't. And, but if you weigh 900 pounds, you probably lose that in a day. So, healthy-wise, a kilo a month is a very healthy way to lose weight. 250 grams doesn't sound like a lot. But if you can lose a bag of sugar, which is normally a kilo, lose a bag of sugar a month, you're on the right track and you're doing everything right. That's as, as sensible an option as I can give you. Because those people who say, I weigh this much, how much do I need to lose? I don't know. I don't know anything about you. Medical conditions, food allergies, you know, your height, your exercise, your daily routine. I don't know any of that. Until I know that, I can't even, even guesstimate what is going on in your, in your own life. But a kilo a month is a healthy way. And if it goes up and down, you know, you lose a kilo, you gain 300 grams. You lose a kilo, you gain half, half a kilo. It's healthy. That's just the way life is. Your body's reacting to things that you eat. If you track everything that you put into your system, like your car, you don't turn up at your car one day and decide, I'm going to put diesel in today because diesel runs more. Well, it won't run in a petrol engine. So think of your body as a car. If you're going to put pizza and kebabs and Burger King into that engine, into that fuel tank, then that engine is eventually just going to get clogged up full of crap and not going to work. But if you feed it with ultra-premium, high-quality, dense fuel, multicolored veggies, plenty of protein, you know, and essential fats, you are going to feel better 
have more energy and fuel that system correctly and that car is going to last you that engine your body is going to last you a very long time sixth and final one and it's again something what do i do about doms now doms we uh, we all know delayed onset muscle soreness uh, we've all been out there i think i think we've all definitely been in the gym and we've overdone it on leg day and then gone i'm not doing leg day again or you've overdone it on bicep curls or you've gone for a run and you haven't run for a while and, and it's taken two or three days for you to recover so the easiest way to do it is make sure that you warm up and i warm up all my clients dynamically so no static stretching before you start i want you to do some dynamic movements some lunges some squats some rotations things like that that are going to help stretch the muscle and build build the engine rev the engine up before you exercise after exercise static stretching i start from the from the ground up so ankles calves quads hamstrings lower back abs chest arms we work that way up and then obviously getting in some quality protein and so again some quality fuel into the system after a workout is always going to be beneficial to help your body recover plenty of protein is always good and that's pretty much I, all I can tell you about today. I mean, if it lasts for three or four days, then you probably need to a evaluate whether you have actually hurt yourself, uh, and b evaluate the program that you're on and is it going to be worth it? Uh, because if you continue that way, and you, you know you're still sore walking into the gym three days later, you might want to take a a, a lower weight day. Because you're eventually something's going to break, either mentally or physically, you're going to break down. So delayed onset muscle soreness. Make sure you stretch, warm up dynamically, static at the end, and make sure you get plenty of, of vitamins and minerals and protein in the system within inside an hour or 90 minutes of that workout to help you recover. Moving into the final part of this show then, and it's going to be about the six questions that I come across my desk daily with you golf guys and gals out there. So the first one that came across was fundamentals. You know, uh, a lot of the, the people I'm dealing with at the minute are 50 plus. They're trying to get their handicaps down. They've, they've played for 20, 30 years and they were taught very differently. They were taught very similar to the way I was taught. So it's all positional, you know, first parallel, second parallel, impact, you know, and then follow through. It was very positional golf, which is great, but in the modern world of golf is all about speed. Ball speed, club head speed, launch angles, all those things like that. But I'm going to say this. I don't think there's anything wrong with fundamentals. You know, making sure that your takeaway isn't inside or outside, fundamental. I don't think it really matters too much about where the toe of the club is or the, 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 the position of the hand. You know, first parallel top of the backswing, second parallel. What matters is impact. 
and if you're impact we can match up your your path with your face which is you know people understand that a lot of my clients i tell them in, in very especially in the very first lesson first thing you need to do is understand that the club path is going one way club fast face is pointing another if those things happen and there's more than a six degree outcome you're either a slicer or a hooker of a golf ball so we need to match those angles up we need to get you into a position where the club path is going neutral and the face is neutral or the, you know the face to path is neutral so at impact the ball's going to go straight and that's the only real fundamental I like to teach as a golf performance coach as long as my clients understand that and then when they go onto the golf course okay I'm hitting my drivers going right my wedges are going left I need to aim more right with my wedges I need to aim more left with my driver because they understand or change the ball position forward or backwards in my stance to help me close or open that face to get the ball to go straight because on the arc of my swing today I'm pulling the pulling the short things and I'm pushing the long things so if I move the ball forward on the long things I'm allowing myself more time to close the face and if I put the ball back in my stance with the wedges then I'm giving it less time to turn so the ball's going to go straighter and if my clients understand that I think most of my clients do understand that now I teach this from the very beginning if they can understand that that's going to give them the ability on course to change the way they're playing they're not just going to keep rinse and repeating a hook or rinse and repeating that slice they're going to understand what they need to do on the fly at each shot and each tee box and how to get themselves around the golf course better and i think that's that's the the fundamentals that they know but yeah fundamentals mean a, a very different to what they did a few years ago and i think the fundamental thing is if you can get face to path correct nothing else really matters obviously building some speed getting some bigger distance is something that we all want and everybody wants <clears throat> but building speed <coughs> is it's not a, a short process you know building speed requires effort away from the golf course with with either golf clubs in the garden or even going training in the gym and I said the bare minimum to gain some speed and I'm proud of a two or three clients over the last month or so who I've showed them the overspeed training that I do just by using you know their driver their hybrid the five iron the wedge by showing them the overspeed training <clears throat> they've actually gained one of them's gained 12 miles an hour in five weeks so it's a five-week process, but they've done the work away from the gym. And if you're not willing to do the work away from the golf course on speed, you're never going to get any faster. You need to be in the gym doing specific training, or you, at bare minimum, you need an overspeed stick that is going to give you the training in less than 10, 15 minutes a week. The second question all through the summer it's been fine I've hit the ball it's I you know ball's gone high in the air I've had this beautiful ball flight 
now since the rain has come since uh, mid July in wet in these wet damp conditions I can't get the ball in the air and there's a simple reason for that is because the clubs that you have are either very narrow sold and the hard conditions of the ground has been helping that sole bounce you into the ball almost like a range mat and that's why you've been getting this ball flight because you've been getting away with poor strike or they have these super thick soles and they're ultra forgiving so the ball was the same again ball was being bounced into the ball but because of the way the clubs are designed they're, they're launching them anyway now in these wet conditions you're just digging into the turf and you're two inches behind the ball whereas before on the hard conditions similar to a range map you were getting away with it so getting the ball in the air is all about compression and obviously the easiest way to tell whether you're hitting your irons well is quite simply the first two grooves on your irons when you hit your shots shouldn't have any grass on maybe obviously wet conditions are going to have a little bit of mud but the actual ball imprint should be two grooves up from the bottom if it's lower than that then your ball striking needs to be worked on you're not compressing your irons very well you need to change your ball position so you can change your compression and you'll probably find you'll have more distance and the ball will be getting in the air but if you're not getting the ball in the air, just check your strike. If you've got really thick, clunky irons, you've probably been getting away with a lot in these hard conditions. So you just need to change your ball position. So yeah, getting the ball in the air in wet conditions is difficult. And if you're not a good ball striker, that'll be the reason why. Number three, struggling with long irons. On approach shots now I'm quite a short guy I generate a little bit of speed I'm quite strong but as you get older you don't quite have that speed and I think there are so many clubs out there that can help people with low speed but long distances hybrids nine wood seven wood those those things, even some of the, the UDI irons um, can be fitted for people with slower swing speeds but give them more distance. So you need to really question your ego. Um, if you're a young 20-something or 30-something person, even maybe like me, early to mid-40s with decent speed but struggle to just get them airborne, then maybe switching into a hybrid or a seven wood or a five wood, getting rid of those long irons out of the bag, adding some more head covers, shouldn't have any shame in it. You're just doing what suits you. So you need to go and get a fitting, get yourself looked at, and take your ego out of it. Because if you've still got a three and four iron in the bag, but that three and four iron goes less than your seven iron, you don't need those clubs in your bag anymore. You need to go and buy yourself a hybrid or seven wood and get the most out of that so you're still getting that 180 200 yard distance out of those clubs that you were getting out of your three and four iron 
10 years ago. It's more to do with ego, especially the male ego, than I'm struggling with those irons. If you have the speed, it might just be a case of we just need to change a little bit of technique, maybe ball position, get you compressing that iron better. But if you're really struggling with your long irons, as I know most people out there are, go switch them for hybrids and seven and nine woods and you'll you'll transform your game overnight. That simple. Number four. My short game sucks. So in and around greens, 15, 20 yard chips and pitches, I'm blading them, I'm sculling them, I'm not even reaching the green. And this is the reason why in 2022 I did short game, I started my short game sessions, I then went full time coach this year in 2023. My short game has always been reasonably good. Um, and similar to the, the long iron issue, the short game issue could be what clubs are you using to pitch around the greens with? I'm very much a Lee Trevino guy. Lee Trevino, well known for his ball striking, and he has a policy of the closer he is to the green, the less loft he'll use. So if he's just on the fringe of a green, he will use, you know, a seven iron and hit it like a putt, get it over that fringe and get it rolling towards the hole. If he's about five yards off the green, he'll use an eight iron. Ten yards off the green, he'll use a nine iron. And then 15 plus yards, it'll be a pitching wedge to carry the, the crap and get it rolling towards the green. And if you do that, Seven iron when you're next to the green, eight, eight iron when you're five yards off the green, nine iron when you're ten yards off the green, and pitching wedge from 15 yards further back, you'll understand that that loft is just carrying it to the green, and you want it to get it rolling, once it's on the green, get it rolling towards the hole as quickly as possible. So, stand, another, the other thing with short game is I see people trying to hit those you know, 3, 5, 10, 15 yard chips and pitches like they're hitting a full iron. No. If you're struggling around the greens, the first thing I teach anybody who is struggling around the greens is take your, don't ever use your sand wedge because there's too much bounce on it. So you, we're talking pitching wedge, 8, 9 iron. Put that behind the ball, stand it up on the toe, so lift the heel of the club off the ground. So there's a good half inch between the floor and that. Go down the shaft of that club, hold the grip, and then hit it like a putt. I showed someone this the other day, because uh, I'd seen him blade it through the green twice, and I thought, I can't, I can't watch this anymore. So I said, look, here's an easy tip. Stand it up on the toe, hit it like a putt, and he hit a couple while I was there. I was green keeping at the time. And I saw him about four or five holes later, and he said, that's transformed my chipping. And this, this is going to transform your chipping. So if you're struggling to pitch and chip, don't hit it like a pitch and chip. Stand it up on that toe. Get a little bit of space between the heel. And that toe will glide through. You're adding loft to the club. It will glide through the grass much easier. And hopefully help you out. Number five, my putting sucks. Pace is bad. Line is bad help 
simple drill easy drill go to your putting green at your golf club and either take eight golf balls or eight tee pegs maybe 12 if you've got them put those tee pegs down about so I'm gonna say a grip so whatever your grip is on your putter light put that on the floor put your tee pegs in a square walk about eight ten paces and then make another square and just put between those two squares once you've hold and I say hold in general once all three putts are in that square walk away and do that two or three times a week when you're playing or do it at home in the living room in the landing in the garden when you you'll find after about a week or two doing that three times a week your putting will be better that's the simplest tip I can give you number six my golf is inconsistent you know my strike is bad I can hook on one day and pull hook, hook it one off one tee pull it and slice it off the next and this goes back to the fundamentals the reason why you play inconsistent golf is number one is that you the big one of the biggest reasons is that you're not paying attention to your setup to your line to your swing arc your swing path or your club face those five things are what you need to play good golf if you don't have those five things you're in trouble so you need to understand your swing path which way the clubs going so if you hit a big slice and then you hit a big draw you've probably either moved the ball farther back or moved it farther forward or you got the face open or you got the face closed you've got your you know you need to pay attention on your setup so are my feet straight is the is the club to power target is my feet to target are my shoulders to target if that's all doing that and your ball is towards the front of your stance and you're hooking it bring it back inconsistent golf is mainly caused by the people who are inconsistent in their setup inconsistent in their knowledge of where I hit the ball how I'm aiming having a routine behind the ball so what I'm gonna say is you need to firstly the best way is have a routine my routine and I'm gonna go through it now is I walk up to my ball I will check what yardage I have so it might say 125 yards for instance I'm gonna look at then look at the lie so am I in a divot is it sat up is it sat down is it in the rough etc etc if it's sat down in the rough I'm actually gonna pick less club than I need I'm just gonna try and get it close to the green as I can depending on how much grass is beyond the ball if the, if the, the ball the grass is going towards the hole it's probably going to be a flyer I'm going to need less less club you know it's going to glide through the thing I'm going to pick a club that's going to do that I'm going to check the yardage again before I pick the club because sometimes 
Swingy U, uh, Arcos, Garmin, they lie to you. You walk up to your ball, it's 125. You pick a club, which for me, it's either it's either a, um, a, a, it's a good nine iron or it's it's a it's a chippy, smooth eight. And then you hit that shot, and it's ten yards over the green, because it's not one twenty-five; it's one oh five. So always give whatever you're doing the chance to catch up. Check your yardage twice. Check your lie. Then pick your club. I would rather hit more club, softer, with more control, than less club, harder, not knowing how it's going to come out. So take those into account. That's the way I play golf. And that's the way everybody should play golf. You should assess your lie, check your yardage, know what club yardage your clubs will go, and then understand... Okay, there's a lot of grass between the ball and the face. I'm going to take an extra club swing softer, but that hot face from the longer club is going to get it out. Or, oh, it's a bit of a flyer lie. I'm going to take less club and hit it the same. And it should get there. And that, ladies and gents, is the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed that. Those are the 18 questions that have come across my desk over the last few weeks. If you do want to send anything in, want to ask anything, hotmail.com. go to failsafefitness.weebly.com to take a look at the blog. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, and share with your friends. If there's anything you need to know, fitness, nutrition, or exercise, or golf, anything, send them to me, hotmail.com. And we'll do one of these in about another six or eight weeks' time towards the end of the golfing season. And we'll go into some things that I think over the winter you could be doing as well. Thank you for listening. My name has been Michael Joshua. I hope you've enjoyed the show. See you again next week. Bye-bye.